skeletal forms, burn toxic green, vacant eyes, lit with everlasting hellfire. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Watch Scary Movies. This week's episode is the second part of our deep dive into the 1996 film Scream, the original Scream. So we're just going to jump straight back in from where we left off last time and I hope you enjoy. So Sydney and Billy have just, they're getting dressed after um, having sex. Sydney finally gives in to Billy and, and they've had sex. She gives into his manipulations. Yeah, that douche. And she's like getting dressed and she's like, who did you call when you were in jail? Because you get one phone call. Who did you call? Don't you think, though, was she wondering this question the whole time they were banging? Like, yeah, timing it. This is, the, this is the thing I think his manipulation got to her like his gaslighting got to her at that scene in the school and made her doubt herself and that's why she slept with him but her gut the whole time is like no so soon something's as not thinks, right yeah she still yeah. is like something's not right here and she's like who did you call and he says that he called his dad and she's like well no the sheriff called your dad he told me and Billy's like oh yeah I tried to call him and I didn't get an answer and then he starts like why you surely you don't still think it's me and she's like no no but that'd be a really clever way to throw me off the scent if you used your one call from jail to call me and put me off and yeah she's but his smart story, his story is really believable like actually Often when you have a phone call from jail, not speaking from personal experience, but I have been the person who's received the phone call from jail. And like, yeah, they've been like, I've been trying to call you yeah. because you get one call to the point where you actually speak to them. So his story is believable. Like if she didn't know, if she yeah. did know, if she knew jail protocol, she'd know, like you continue to get a call till you speak to someone and someone answers. Yeah. Cause otherwise but, um, like, what's the point? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You'll be there but, forever. But I mean, I also think she's so willing to be misled because he's been fucking with her head so yeah. often that she just kind of like believes it. And then, of course, who springs through the door? Fucking Ghostface. Ghostface. Stu Ghostface. Stabs. I'm doing Billy. that. Here. Stabs Billy a few times. And he has like the most pathetic. He turns around and he's like, Sid, me. <laughs> and collapses. And yeah, I wish everyone could see your yeah. Death, I know. Like <laughs> it's just such a, it's so lame. She runs, ends up being trapped in the attic, and manages to escape out of a window. Ghostface like grabs her and she's hanging out the window, and then she slips and she kind of falls backwards and lands into. I'm guessing Stu's like super rich parents own. I don't know, like a mattress factory or something, because she falls onto the back of this pickup <laughs> truck that's just conveniently parked under the window, and it's got like a cover on, and it's like she lands on what she would have landed on. You know those big airbags that you like land on in stunts. I think I think <laughs> it was it. No, but I think it was meant to be like a tarp pulled taut over the bed of the truck. But I know what you mean, because when she lands, you can see clearly that he landed on the mattress. Yeah, it's like really soft. And she's like, if it was a top, she would bounce off, surely. <laughs> just go flying off and smash it. Very convenient. 
Yeah, thank, very and then she and then she sees Tatum, doesn't she? She sees yeah. Tatum this and, is the part where she sees poor Tatum hanging. I'll give her out. credit though. Do you know what she doesn't do in these moments? She doesn't scream. She kind of she grabs her scream. face and she's like, <gasps> "Yeah." And then she all runs. the face acting from Ned yeah. Campbell. And at no point, face. no point does she, you know, she's fucking terrified, but she doesn't let that take over. She's yeah, still she smart. Yes, she doesn't doesn't like give in to the terror no. or at this point like, cloud her judgment exactly she flees to she sees the cameraman she's banging on the door kenny kenny the cameraman's in there gail's still off with dewey kenny <laughs> opens the door sydney jumps in and she's all bloody and they're watching on the camera and they can see randy on the sofa on the the feed and they see Ghostface behind him and kenny's like shit going he wants to go and save randy so he opens the door and then as he opens the door, he sees the front door of the house open. He's like, shit, the delay. He remembers the, 30 the, seconds delay. the delay and he gets yeah. his throat slit. Ghostface appears, slits his throat. R.I.P. Kenny. Poor Kenny. Fun fact, though. Fun fact. I remember reading this. Ghostface mm-hmm. it was always played by a stuntman. In that scene where he's standing behind... Um, Randy Skeet Ulrich asked specifically if he could play Ghostface during that scene because he wanted to be able to like see I listened to a very brief interview with Skeet Ulrich and Matthew um, Lilliard that was recorded last year and that one of the questions asked was did you guys ever wear the the mark the the costume and they both said they did it once the same for the same same at night one of them put it on and then the other one's like, oh, I want to put it on. And they're like, there, yeah. was no, there was no way they would be able to do it in the scenes because Matthew Lillard is like six foot three and Skeet Ulrich is really short, like really short. <laughs> yeah, he's like five foot. Yeah, so that's interesting that he that was the scene that they were talking about. Kenny's dead. Ghostface is trying to get Sydney. She manages to crawl through like this little space out in the truck and Ghostface is trying to come after her. Then, so Sydney's running down the road. Gail and Dewey make it back. They don't see Sydney. Dewey goes to the house because mm. he's looking for Sydney's dad. Gail is standing, like calling for Kenny, and then she realizes she's standing in a pool of blood. So she doesn't even wait. She gets in the car, in the truck, gets into the front, tries to use the cell phone to call the police. Yeah. And Randy appears at the window. And we never see Randy get attacked, but he obviously has been attacked at this point. Cause I think he's like, he's like banging on the window, like, like help, help, help. And Kale just like, like whacks him in the face with the phone and then starts driving. But as she starts driving, all this blood comes down the windscreen and Ghostface has somehow very quickly managed to get big, you know, Kenny was not a small guy onto the roof. Right. And she even says, she's like, I'm really sorry, Kenny, but get the fuck off my roof. And she's yeah. driving. And as she's driving, speeding down the road, Sydney steps out into the road and waves, trying to signal her down. Gail, like, panics, spins off the road, down a route, like, down a slope and into a tree. And Sydney doesn't even check to see that she's alive. She's just like, fuck it. I'm going to find Dewey and runs back to the house. Dewey is in the house um, calling for Neil Prescott. Like, Neil, Neil. Again, you'd think he'd be like, Tatum, my sister, where's my baby sister? Like, is she still nah, here? Not no, bothered. no, he's too busy doing his police job. But also, isn't, didn't they take Sydney's dad? Isn't he in the, he's in the house, right? Yeah, like, yeah, tied he's, up? yeah, he's tied up in, in like the basement, I think. He's in okay. a cupboard, yeah. Um, and that's where basically he hit, Stu, they've hid his dad's car. That's, and that's right. the car that they find, yeah. Sydney's approaching the house. Dewey opens the front door and he's like, 
Sydney and then collapses and there's a knife in his back. He's been stabbed. Yes. Ghostface appears. Sydney runs and gets into the police car and radios for help, saying that someone's trying to attack her. But Ghostface has got the keys and he manages to like open the boot and get in. And he's trying to get him. And she gets back out the car like while Ghostface is still trying to get her from behind and runs to the thing and she gets the gun, Dewey's gun. Which I don't know why Ghostface didn't grab the gun after stabbing Dewey, to be honest. Maybe he didn't see it because the thing is about this part, it's like once, I'm trying to think when it really starts. Once Billy is stabbed after the sex scene, it's really like, it all just kind of goes a bit crazy. It is manic. it, It is manic. And again, when we talk about things like pacing, this is like a crescendo, massive crescendo. So it's building, building, building to this scene that's, Manic, but also very well choreographed in a oh, way. Yeah. You, don't, you don't ever really wonder, like, where's this part? Everyone's accounted for. Everybody has their own interwoven story that culminates yeah. in the kind of reveal. The, the only person that is actually missing at this point is Stu. So before... True. Because when they're... When, before the other kids go off to look at the, the dead principal... They're all sat on the, so you've got a few of the kids, Randy and Stu, watching TV, watching Halloween. Billy and Sydney are upstairs. Dewey, Gail, Kenny are all outside. And Stu says he's going to get a beer. That's when he does like, I'll be right back after the rules and disappears. And we don't see him. And that's the last, yeah, that's the last time. We don't see him again until this point. So Sydney's now got the gun and she's outside the house. And Randy like comes hobbling up the path. And he's limping because he's been like stabbed like in the butt, basically like his back of his leg or his thigh <laughs> or something. Yeah. Uh, and he's and he says it's Stu. He's like, it's Stu, it's Stu, he's gone crazy. And then Stu appears and he's not hurt, but he's like, oh my God, it's Randy, it's Randy. So she's pointing the gun at both of them and they're accused. Yes, I remember this scene. It's really good. Yeah. I love it. And I love the fact she's just like, yeah, and just goes in the house, goes fuck you both, and just shuts it's the door. Just, yeah, she's like, I don't trust anybody. Yeah, anything. exactly. And she's in the house, like she knows Gail in the truck. She doesn't really understand what's happened to Kenny. I don't think, but or she knows Tatum's dead. Dewey's probably dead. He's been stabbed. He's got a knife in his back, and he's lying out on the front porch. And Billy's been stabbed. He's Billy's bleeding. been stabbed. But then she turns, and then but Billy suddenly appears at the top of the stairs, and he's like, "Oh, Sydney," and he like takes a very slow tumble down the stairs. <laughs> It is like, really slow. Yeah, like oh, and he peers and he falls down <laughs> and he's he's you know covered in blood. Um, but wouldn't you notice that there are no holes in your t-shirt? I mean, considering everything she's just seen and done, I suppose. I suppose. I don't know that I would notice. That. <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, when you say that there was no holes, so how is he bleeding? That's what I mean. But well, he's just had sex, so it's not like he's hiding blood pellets underneath his shirt. No, so when so- you must have been like squeezing like had a, like a squeezy bottle of <laughs> corn syrup um on him so this yeah is the suspension of disbelief we just don't, i know don't i know he convinces Sydney to give him the gun and he gets the gun and he opens the door and randy bursts in and he's like oh it's Stu. he's gone mad and then we get that very famous scene where billy just like scratches his head with the gun and he's like, we all go a little mad sometimes. And then shoots Randy. In, it's in the shoulder, really. And he goes down and he's like, Anthony Perkins, psycho. <laughs> what is it with his movie references? And you just... Anthony Perkins? That's the, isn't that the actor who plays Norman Bates? Oh, maybe. I don't remember. 
from the Hitchcock. I don't remember. Mm, Maybe you're right. Yeah. And at this point, she realizes that it's Billy. Stu walks in and he's got the voice changer. It's like, surprise, Sydney. And (laughs) Jenny, that was good. Um, and this, I mean, if you think back to the first time you saw this movie, I know my jaw was like on the floor. Yeah. 12 year old Jenny was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like the boyfriend. Okay. We all kind of saw that one coming. But then Wes Craven pulled one over on us by making there be two. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But I love the fact she still isn't like, she's like shocked and betrayed and you can just see it. But she doesn't just, like, curl up in a ball and cry. She's just like, what? And she doesn't understand. And basically, they admit to killing. She's like, oh, you'll never get away with this. And they're like, oh, it's surprisingly easy how, you know, how it is to get away with this. It was certainly easy enough to, to frame Cotton Weary. And that's when she realises that they killed they, they killed her mum. And isn't uh, that where they, they sort of say the connection? Wasn't she sleeping with Billy's dad? Was yes. that the... Yeah, okay. So we get this bit, and it's like she's asking why. And you know, I was like, Did you hear that, Stu? She wants a motive. I don't really believe in motive, Sydney. Um, did Norman Bates have a motive? Nope. Did they ever really <laughs> decide why Hannibal Lecter liked to eat people? I don't think so. It's a lot <laughs> scarier when there's no motive. Um, uh, they did get into why Hannibal Lecter likes to eat people if you've read all the books. Exactly. Um, but he doesn't read the books, he just watches the movies. And quotes them in weird ways. Uh, yeah, and this is where they kind of say, you know, about, it's like, oh, this is, oh, we did your mum a favour. She was a slut bag whore. She flashed that, her shit all over town like she was Sharon Stone. And then you've got Stu going, and your mother was no Sharon Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I just love him so much. And yeah, this is where you find out that basically Sydney's mum was sleeping with Billy's dad. And that's why Billy's mum left. And he says this amazing line maternal abandonment can cause serious deviant behaviors like it's sure you know your mom it sure fucked you up you had sex with a psychopath and then she's like yeah yeah you did give it up which means you're not a virgin which means you like now have to die because that's the rules of horror film she's not a virgin anymore so she can't survive i just love that whole scene the dialogue is just it's fantastic and then isn't this the part where after that they start stabbing each other well they pull out sydney's dad first yeah, they get like at her dad, who's like hogtied and bound out yeah. of the cupboard, and he's on the floor, and she's like, "Oh, daddy!" And then like Stu's like, "Oh, don't need this anymore," and puts like the mobile phone and the voice changer in his pocket. It's like, what about fingerprints, guys? <laughs> You're not even gonna wipe the shit down. And yeah, this is when they start like stabbing each other. Um, I love when they start stabbing each other because it really illustrates how fucking crazy they are. Yeah, exactly. Billy stabs Stu and then Stu stabs Billy and then Billy gets the knife and like properly goes for it on Stu again. (laughs) Because Stu, because isn't it like at one point Stu can't get up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like, he's like, stop it, Billy. I'm starting to feel woozy over here. (laughs) I love that so much. And then they're basically talking about how they're going to totally get away with it now. And they're getting re- ready to kill Sydney. And then they hear something and it's Gail. And she's actually alive and she's got the gun. Oh, yeah, because Stu turns around and he's like, the gun's gone. Where's the gun? And then she's like, basically, like, surprise, bitches. And she's there with the gun. Yeah. Um, he has her moment. Yeah. And she goes to, like, shoot them. But the safety's on. 
and I think it's like Billy tackles her or something and she but anyway she goes flying out the front door and she like cracks herself on the post and she's unconscious on top of Dewey's body and we think Dewey's dead as well at this point and Billy's like oh you should have taken the safety off bitch and he's about to shoot them and then Stu realizes Sydney's gone and she's taken the voice changer and the, and the phone which I love she calls them and talks and I love it she's like oh let's play a game and she's basically like fuck you guys let's let's do this back to you <laughs> yeah, and, I and love like Billy gets really angry like how dare you because he's a narcissistic asshole and he's well, like, and a psychopath yeah and he's having a full tantrum because she's taken the taken the voice changer on the phone the um, tables have turned and he passes the, like he Stu gets the phone and she's like oh I've called the cops um, and like Stu's like dying from his wounds I think a bit where like Billy throws the phone at him and Stu's like you hit me with the phone you dick <laughs> and he's like bleeding out everywhere like, I think did I'm dying did you say the part where he's like my mom and dad are gonna be yeah stupid. and he's like on the phone to Sydney did you really call the cops and she's like you bet your ass I did he's like my mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me <laughs> I love that line. because Sydney even asks him like what's in it for him and he's like peer pressure so <laughs> yeah he's just obviously like a little rich kid that didn't have enough love, I guess, because not enough hugs from daddy. Yeah, and Sydney jumps out of a closet in the ghost face costume with an umbrella and basically like stabs Billy in the chest with the umbrella. She stabs him twice. He collapses. Stu somehow gets the courage, like the strength, to tackle her and tries to kill her, and she basically just drops a TV on his head and electrocutes him. Yeah. Um, excellent death scene it was yeah that was probably that might be my favorite death of the film to be honest it's great and then billy attacks her again oh and randy's alive she's like i thought you were dead billy attacks her again i love the fact when sydney sticks her finger into the hole she's made the wound that she's made with the umbrella like wiggles it and he screams um and gail shoots him because doesn't doesn't Randy have the line where he says something like, they always come back to life. You have to make yeah, sure they're so dead. Billy's down. Randy's suddenly alive. Billy wakes up and, and tries to attack them again. Gail is, appears and shoots them. And she's like, I remember the safety this time, like, bitch. Shoots him. <laughs> they're like, oh my God, Randy, we thought you were dead. I shouldn't be alive. I've never been so thankful for being a virgin. And then, <laughs> yeah, they're kind of gathering themselves and Billy's on the floor and Randy's like, careful, this is the part where the killer comes back to life. And as he says it, like Billy awake opens his eyes and Sydney just shoots him straight between the eyes, like not in my movie. Yes. Um, and that is the end of Billy Loomis. Bye. And then I think the very end of it's like the police come and, yeah, and then Gail's um doing like the news out. report, like first person yeah. report, still bloody and things. And yeah, and that that's how it ends. And then we all applaud because it's so brilliant and yeah. self-aware. Yes. Yes. It's just perfect. It is. Do you know, I was going to ask you because we did, again, we I didn't realize the score. Five. Five. No question. No, absolutely no question. I mean, from the writing to the pacing, to the music, to the acting, it's just so well the, done. The use of comedy is excellent. Um, but it doesn't detract from how fucking scary this film still yes is. and I believe them like I believe their terror I mean Sydney's terror Drew Barrymore's terror their fear yeah. I mean I believe them and what I love is that you have like and I think it was my husband Andy describes them almost as like cartoonish characters in a way like with you know Ghostface and um, Dewey and you know all, all these characters that, and, and like Stu 
Um, they're all kind of Bellic Street, but then Sydney, Sydney is just normal and she plays it like she is in like a completely serious horror film. Yeah, it's which true. Makes, which, which works so well. It's very layered because there comes a point in the film pretty much straight after the opening scene and there's this pervasive feeling of dread and that just, it, it builds from there. You all know how I feel about pacing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, they just, they really, 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 they got it right. Wes Craven, everybody, they got it right. And and even the end, I'm not a big fan of like, ambiguous endings I can I can be I can be in some cases some cases they work really well and I really liked that there was no ambiguity here you knew what happened yeah. you knew who did it yeah you lost some good people along the way but it was just overwhelmingly satisfying yes and I think that's part of what has made it so I don't know appealing I yeah. think through all this time and it's and it still really works definitely it's aged well as we said earlier so yeah. the soundtrack is fantastic i mean the use they use one of my favorite songs which is a red right hand by nick haven the bad seeds and they use and it's just epic the way that they use, use it twice actually they use it twice yeah. yeah and yeah just the whole soundtrack is is brilliant they've got um, some alice cooper in there yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's oh it's so good so good and even the way that they do the lighting like some how sometimes the ghost face comes out in the in the daylight yeah and I, yeah there's a few that. scenes where he's like running around the garden you can kind of see him like in his costume <laughs> yeah and it's clearly not halloween which i yeah. also appreciate <laughs> yes no i mean five stars 100 percent. and and i know we said this earlier but i mean i've seen this film so many times and it's enjoyable still every time and i think it's also interesting because it's one of i think he was craven was quite clever in the sense that okay the first time you watch it you don't know who the killers are you're always kind of suspecting the boyfriend because it's always the fucking boyfriend right yeah. but then you discover that it's two of them it's Stu and billy and they're very smart with how they provide alibis for each other like throughout the film right so yeah. then you go back and when you watch it second third fourth fifth 30 times however many times you and i've watched it i don't know about you but i'm always kind of looking out like I wonder which one this is. Who is it this yeah. time? Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like in the opening scene, I think it was Billy because Tatum says yeah. Tatum says that um, Stu was with her all night, and but then Billy climbs through Sydney's, Sydney's window. window. But that was clearly a timing thing. Yeah. So he climbs through her window after he murdered Casey and Steve. Yeah. In the opening scene and then you kind of think in the scene where he ghost face attacks sydney in her house that first time and then billy shows up like that was clearly stew as we discussed earlier yep. so he was clever in the sense that it's super you know entertaining the first time yeah but that entertainment factor is not diminished upon further viewings no the way i, the way I figured it was that billy in the yeah that billy is the one who kills casey and steve because Stu was with tatum and then he goes through Sydney's window. Then the next night, yeah, it's Stu who attacks Sydney in her house because Billy's the one doing the phone call um, yes. to Sydney. Then the next time we see them is in the toilets at school. That's Stu. Because Tatum, you think that's Stu? Yeah, okay. Think about it because Tatum and Stu were talking and then he says something and Tatum's like, stop being an ass. And he leaves, I think. 
And then obviously yeah. Sydney runs into Billy outside the toilets. Right. And then okay. she yep. goes in. Yep. I think, I mean, it could be either of them, but I think that's Stu. No, it makes more sense that it's Stu. You're right. Yeah. Okay, who kills, who kills the principal? Billy, because Stu's at the party. Oh yeah, because Billy shows up later. Yeah. And Billy okay. shows, and then Billy kills Tatum because you have that yeah. scene where Billy open when yes. Billy appears at the party after Tatum's been killed, and obviously we know it's not Stu. But that's correct. Yeah, and he gives mm-hmm. Stu this little nod, like it's been done. So, Does he? Yeah, I haven't even he, seen when, that. When he first opens the door, like, and then look, he's like, he gives him like this little nod, and to me, that's like, yeah, done it. Okay, so, good eye. I didn't even that's see that. Tatum. Mm-hmm. Then when do we next? And you don't really have any. Oh, who kills Kenny? I think the outside goes. I just got South Park. Is South Park red? Who kills Kenny? Kenny always does. I think it's Stu because we don't see Stu again for a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right because of when you said like he's going to get beer or whatever. That all happened. He's he's running around outside, and then Stu. The next time we see Stu, he is outside when that scene where him and Randy appear on the uh, you know and blame each other. And Stu's coming from from outside, and basically Sydney's in. So Sydney's in the cop car at the end of the park. Yeah, and, and Ghostface. She manages to escape, and Ghostface is still in there. She gets to the front door, gets the gun. When she looks up, Ghostface is gone. And then, like um, seconds later, Stu and Randy both appear from from the same kind of direction as the car. So I think that's Stu. But this is what I mean. Like this whole conversation, this comes from multiple viewings. Yeah, and it's and the fact is. They reckon even Wes didn't even know. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, in that interview with, that I listened to with Skeet Ulrich and Matthew um, Lillian, and they said, oh, do you know who killed who? And they were like, no, it was never in the script. It, we never really knew. Um, potentially Kevin knew, or he has theories. Fans have theories, and fans have right. worked out. They're like, but we don't even know if, if Wes knew for, for sure. Oh, I kind of love that. Who okay. yeah. Have you seen, I mean, I know you want to, how, what do you think about the sequels? So I've only seen, full disclosure, I've only seen Scream 2 and 3. I have not seen Scream 4. Scream 2, I, I feel like, uh, was Scream 2 the one where they end up in the theater at the very end? Yes. So Scream 2, it starts at the cinema. It's got a really great scene with like uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and her boyfriend at the cinema. And they're all wearing like, the masks. And No, she, no, no, that's part three where they introduce Stab. That's part three, I think. The filming stab in part three. Because in part two, they're, she's at college. She's away yeah, at college. Yeah, but the opening scene is very similar to Scream, where is it, it's like kind of none of the main characters are in it. So Scream 2, I think it is, has the opening scenes in the cinema and she gets stabbed uh, and dies and her boyfriend's in the toilet and he gets stabbed through like the door or something and he dies. And yeah, it's a, it's a, another excellent. And she's like, she climbs onto the in front of the screen, and she's dying. And it's like Halloween, so everyone thinks that she's like pretending. And yeah, and then we're at the college, right. and basically it's like Sydney's at college, and yeah, she's studying theatre, I think. And and yeah, she's in the in the play because I re- so clearly my memory is very very foggy, and I haven't seen it in a very long time because I don't recall enjoying them or thinking they were the same caliber as the first one which is very often the case with particularly in horror but with any film it's hard to match the original but I do remember thinking the second one was quite decent the third one less so and then I sort of fell off 
yes. which I do. I don't know about you, but I do that with everything. Like I'll see saw one and then I'm like, all right, that's enough of that. Or yeah. I see hostile part one, hostile part two. And then I'm like, all right, that's I'm done. Yeah, definitely. Like there's, there's quite often too many. And I'd seen, so I've obviously seen scream loads and I'd seen scream two a few times. And then last summer, me and Andy decided to do like a nineties teen horror um, spree. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And we and we watched um, the third one and I had seen it before, but I didn't remember it very well. And then I only just realized, I don't know how I missed Scream 4. It just never popped up on my radar because it was 2011. So it was quite a long time after Scream 3. But yeah, it was really weird. We watched it on Sunday and I'm going to say I loved it. And so did Andy. Really? I would, I would say okay. it's my second favorite after the original. It's got a really good cast. It's, it's not, it's, it is flawed, definitely flawed but it had a good cast. Whilst it was quite dark in places, it brought back some of the humour from the first one. So maybe, maybe when you, when you, next time you come, we should do like a, a screen marathon. Yeah. Because I haven't seen two and three in forever and I've never seen four. Yeah. And I am really keen to see the new one. I don't, I, yes. I said this in the new year's episode, like, I don't think I'm, maybe as excited as you are or as yeah, some other yeah. people are because I I do struggle with sequels but yeah. of course like the uh, the franchise is good I, I do want to see it yeah. so can I ask you then yeah if if it's possible for you to sort of disregard two three and four and just kind of answer the question going off of this one film what do you think about Sydney as the final girl because she is, she is the final girl on this. Yeah, she absolutely is the final girl. I mean, maybe in all of them, but I think I'm trying to like focus away from the canon since we haven't reviewed it yet and just, yeah, focus on this one. So Sydney is an excellent final girl in Scream, in the original. However, I know you don't necessarily want to talk about it overall, but if you ask, if, if someone came up to me and said, okay, who is your favourite final girl? I would say Sydney Prescott because... I mean, I haven't seen the new film yet, Scream 5, so I'm hoping, you know, they haven't fucked it up at this point. But she <laughs> yeah. is Same. the most consistently impressive final girl. So when we first meet her in Scream, you know, she's like, what, 17 maybe? She's yeah. a year from witnessing the brutal, you know, obviously we don't think she saw the, the rape and murder, but she came, I think she was the one that discovered her mother mother's body so the brutal you know murder of her mother so she's lost her mom she's obviously she's a big part of the the trial she's the key witness she's essentially sending this man to his death because he gets the death sentence for his crime she's being torn apart by the media because gail weathers is calling her a liar yeah calling her a liar saying that she id the wrong man that she's wrong so that much scrutiny and pressure on a 17 year old who's dealing with grief. Can you, I can't even imagine that. And yet somehow mm. she's still managing to hold down friendships and, you know, she's still a fairly normal teenage girl. She's smart. She's, you know, she's got friends, she's got a relationship. And the only real problem that she seems to be having like from all this is that she has some intimacy issues with her boyfriend, which I still think is her gut and her vagina saying, don't let this fucker anywhere near us. <laughs> yeah. um, but also, uh, like you said, completely understandable given yeah, everything absolutely. she's gone through. 
like fairly well adjusted all things considered exactly and when the ghost when like Ghostface appears and starts murdering people when she first went out casey and and steve she's like oh my god that's awful and when she starts getting targeted she takes control she's not like oh no and like everyone needs to protect me and and you know keep me safe she takes control and she doesn't moan about it and even when like gail gets in her face and it's being a bit smart. She's not like, you've hurt me. She just turns around and punches her. And we get this, like, what was it Tatum called? Like a badass bitch or something. Like, yeah. you get, she has this, like, vibe, but she's still she's sensitive. And she's not, like, hard and, and shut off and cold. She's still a very warm, loving person. But she's also badass. When she finds out that the her boyfriend is, is the killer, she doesn't, like, cower away. She doesn't beg for her life. She tells him to fuck off. And- well, I do I do think it was interesting watching this movie again, sort of ha- having this idea of her as a final girl in mind where I haven't really done that before. And I think it started when we did the poll. We did a poll on Instagram listeners where we asked, who is the final girl that you preferred? Was it Laurie Strode or was it Sydney Prescott? And that started Jenny and I on this kind of conversation. And so when I watched it this time, I remember thinking there are so many terms thrown around like, slut virgin tramp um even at one point i think tatum's like what am i your beer wench like all of these kind of you could perceive them as derogatory terms towards women and that are thrown around really flagrantly and so and then there's the whole thing about her mother was her mom still married to her dad like i was was thinking about her dad being yeah like her dad being a widow and all of this stuff going around about her mom and sydney's probably thinking you don't want to think those things about your mother. Of course you want to think that your mother's like a fucking saint. And so they're all calling her mother, like a whore. And what did they say? Flashing her shit around like Sharon stuff, all that kind of stuff (laughs) about your mom, you know? And so just how much things have changed from 1996, for example, until now. And also on top of that, how those things affect you as a woman. I mean, they were only a few years older than me in 1996 and I'm talking that way and people did talk that way much more often yeah and so there is that sort of feminist angle as well like still a Sydney's still a feminist but it's a harder battle at that time definitely and she's obviously scared like in that end scene when she's in the kitchen with you know Billy and Stu and she finds out that they killed her mom and things and she's not you can she's not like unafraid she's definitely scared but she doesn't let it paralyze her she is still smart and she outsmarts them and she delivers the final kill and then this is what I like about which her, is like, so satisfying oh it's amazing like in screen <laughs> two she's in college so obviously this is only like a year later and throughout all of this, she manages to graduate high school and get into, a, you know, a good college. And she's at college and she's got a new group of friends, including Randy, who's also at the same college. They've gone together. Um, so they're in college and and she's still like she's got friends and she's kind of think, I think she's kind of got a, a boyfriend. But she's has some trust issues, but that, you know, most people would be cowering away when the murders start. You know, she's in a theatre production and when the murders start happening, she like if that was most people, if they're like, oh, shit, someone's, you know, copycatting the murders from what happened to me a year ago, 
there's obviously the link to me. I, you know, most people be like, I'm getting the fuck out of here and hiding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Investigate the murders. And in the climax, it's another betrayal because the um the killers, again, there's two killers in in screen two. And it's one of them is what her new friend Mickey, one a new and Billy's mom from the first one, it's Mrs. Loomis. Yes, Um, I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and she uses like the theater set to kind of confuse them and things that, and she uses like her surroundings to distract gain the opponents. yes and exactly and yet and once again she delivers the final shot they're like oh and then she's just like i'm not letting her come back and she shoots her again and then screen three is the one where she is she's basically kind of removed herself from society a bit she lives out in this house in the middle of nowhere it was like lots of security and she's got a dog so while she's taken herself out, you know, tried to protect herself, which is made like a fortress, she's still using what she's learned from everything she's been through to help other women. She's like, she works as like a telephone support counsellor for women in crisis. And I love that, that she's, you know, yeah, she may not be out and about and enjoying running around town, but she, she's in her house and she works as like a telephone support. Gosh, I really, I forgot. I forget. Yeah. I've seen it once years ago. So. I don't remember any of this. Yeah, so she isn't like blasé about what her trauma. She's obviously very affected by it, but and I think right. the thing as well, you know, she can sense the danger is still there because it's not like in Halloween where it's one person, it's Michael Myers. Like in Halloween 2018, and we have that kind of Laurie Strode living in her security secure fortress out in the middle of nowhere, but she's neurotic and she's paranoid, and it's just one man who's been in prison this whole time. Sydney is probably in her late 20s at this point and she's had at this point four different people try and kill her yeah so again it could be anyone and yeah and when the kid exactly and it's usually someone related to her in some way yeah like as the tagline for, for the uh for the new film it's like it's always someone you know I think it's like is that what the tagline it's something like that yeah um it's always someone you know and she gets like the killing. So basically, Scream Three is when Stab the movie's being filmed, and killings start happening on the set. And Dewey's like working as like the bodyguard for the woman. I think it's like Posey Parker's playing Gail, which I love in Stab. And Dewey is like her bodyguard, <laughs> okay. I think. And anyway, so he's on the set, and all these killings start happening, and he calls Sydney, and she doesn't have to help. You know, that's not her job but she does because she knows that you know gail's some around and so is doing she knows that people are in danger so she goes and she's like helping them investigate she leaves the safety of her home to find out who this new ghost face is and when she finds out who, when they find out who it is at the, the, the finale i mean for first of all like there's an amazing scene where basically they rebuilt woodborough as a set so she sits she's back at like the house from the first film but it's 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 a set and she gets attacked there and then i need to rewatch these for sure definitely that would be triggering for anybody but she's you know she doesn't stop and basically it turns out that the killer is i think he's the director of the film or he's something to do with the film and he's this really rich guy and it turns out it's her half brother because her mother 
did some work in Hollywood before she went back to Woodsboro and basically it's her half-brother and he's bitter about something and yeah he's the one that's killer and he shoots Sydney. vaguely remember it being the director yeah and he's like and like she's so prepared for something bad happening she's wearing a bulletproof vest and like she she completely outsmarts him again scream for don't stop. I don't want to okay. know. I want to watch it. No, I'm not I didn't even happen. really want you to, you to tell me the end of three because I want to watch them. Yeah. I want to rewatch them and I don't okay, I'm not. I'm not going to give anything about, away about the plot in Scream 4, but we see her as an older, you know, she's, it's 2011 at this point. So it's been about 15 years since the original film. And she's back in, you know, back in the fray again. And at one point, there's an attack happening and she's immediately running over to help i just think she's she's consistently brave and she's smart do you not does that not do you not think that there comes a point where that's no longer realistic that a normal person would who's suffered from trauma multiple times but she doesn't ignore the trauma i think i think if they were just like oh yeah she's like completely happy and balanced and sane in all of these films i think that would be unrealistic but we see her through the course of the films working through her trauma so her second one it's obviously still quite raw because she's in college and you see uh, there's a few talks where she's talking to the director of the play she's in and he's obviously like trying to help her work through some stuff and and you see that a little bit and then the third one she's like no I'm gonna go and take myself out of danger and put myself in like this safe little fortress but I'm gonna help people Still, I don't want to like, you know, I need to help people still. And this is the way I'll do it. I'll do it through this support line. And then in the fourth one, she's written a book, basically. And that's her again, working through. She's still working through her trauma. She doesn't ignore it. Mm. She's definitely affected by it, but she doesn't let it destroy her. And it's interesting to hear you say that because I'm sort of thinking, Okay, when you have a, a lead male, right, yep. in, in a series of films who's a badass, and I'm looking at sort of die hard, this kind of John McClane, right? Mm-hmm. Do, do you think he deals with his trauma? Probably not. And yet we continue to believe in every movie that he's just this completely courageous, totally unstoppable badass yeah. who has no problem with any of the traumatic things that he's been through. But yet for a woman, like I just asked you, and I am a little bit playing devil's advocate and asking you these questions, but it's just really interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That it, for a female, they show her working through it, still yeah. brave, still outsmarts everyone, still the survivor, still the final girl of our dreams, but she has to process what she's gone through. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's believable that she does. And yeah. the way that you see her kind of develop through the film series and you see her working through her trauma and it, yeah, I just love it. And I think the thing is as well, like you start, go back to like 1996 when this film came out, when we first met her. So I was early teens. And if you think about other horror films from that period that, you know, that we would have seen, obviously there were a lot of horror films. The only ones I can really think of that I remember well, are, you know, obviously there was Candyman, but then it was like Interview with the Vampire, um, Bram Stoker's Dracula, that kind of thing. And the women weren't particularly great in those films in some respects (laughs) okay well that's not that's not exactly I can't think of the right words but basically the other films the other kind of female heroes that you know women girls could look up to 
it was like Ripley from Aliens and um, Linda Hamilton in like the Terminator films, who were all kind of overly masculine action heroes because they were trying to match you know action films were big and we had lots of like like uh, Bruce Willis and Die Hard and we had lots of action Arnold Schwarzenegger and things and, we, and the female characters were either had to be like kind of helpless and the love interest or they had to be like quite military and badass and I didn't mm. really relate to those what I could mm. relate to was Buffy in Buffy the Vampire Slayer who was you know like a normal teenage girl but she kicked ass and you know she was strong um but she still had all these pain and emotions and day-to-day things to work through as well and then you've got Sydney who is a normal girl who's been through some horrible things and but she's still having to deal with like high school and friends and boyfriends and and then you know standing up to these killers and I just felt like she, for a certain generation she was a great a great role model and a great hero and, she and like you said, relatable, accessible. Yeah, exactly. And she hasn't let us down. And she's the only one I can think of. She's the only final girl that I can think of that has appeared in every single one of the films in the franchise. Yeah, she has. Laurie she? Strode isn't in all the Halloween films. No, she's not. Um, and Nancy, you've got Heather Langenkamp, isn't in all the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Mm-mm. So Sydney Prescott, we heart you. We do. Sydney Prescott, <laughs> I have a, a lot of love for Sydney Prescott. I do think that we should have a Final Girls episode. Yes, I do too. Because there are different versions of Final Girls. Absolutely. I have my favorites. And like Sydney Prescott, I wouldn't have named her as my favorite, but you've made so many good points. I'm kind of rethinking it. Like I didn't give her enough credit. But also, I need to rewatch the other films. Yeah, this is the thing. I, a year ago, I would be the same. But then yeah. we rewatched Scream One, Two, and Three, and then we've recently watched Scream, watched Scream Four last week because it, Scream Four has just come on Netflix. I think because I, I saw that. I love Scream so much. I love Scream, and I'm glad we covered it. We were sort of hesitant to do so because we knew it would be a very lengthy episode because we are so passionate about this film, and I knew Jenny would have quite a lot to say about the sort of final girl theories and how. In this movie, they take all of these horror cliches, many of them sort of, you know, kind of anti-feminism tropes in a way and, and turn them on their head. Yep. And, it's, and the movie's all the better for it. Yep. Yes. So, all right. Well, having said that, thank you guys for listening. Thank you our, so much. Our five-hour episode about Scream. <laughs> <laughs> hey, trust me, I, I cut out a lot of things I could have said. <laughs> And I really hope that you're all excited for um, Scream, the musical, <laughs> written and directed by Caitlin and, and starring me. In, as every role. As every role, is. including both killers. <laughs> it's going to be great. We really yes. need a good costume designer. So if you do costumes, hit us up. Yeah, yeah. Or- we need like a Victor Victoria situation going on. <laughs> Yes, very much so. Um, Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, like, follow, subscribe, um, share us to people. Send carrier pigeons with our details on to your loved ones. Just really want to get out there. Yes, and and we will send you kisses and love. And yeah, so until next time. All right. Brothers Keg, take us out. Bye. Bye.